Well, uh, I hope y'all had a great Halloween. I, uh, my family and I, we went out. We did our tradition every year. Our neighborhood is not much of a neighborhood. Uh, the houses are five acres apart. And so we, we go down to the villages. And y'all who live in the villages of Denver, thank you for welcoming us every year. We have a blast every Halloween going down. And I, I was thinking, you know, one of those questions that you get asked when you're getting ready for Halloween is, is who, who are you going to be for Halloween, right? And uh, I, I must be getting old because as I walked around villages last night, I looked at a lot of costumes. I would had to actually have to go up to the person and say, now, now who are you? <laughs> right? You ever done that? Like, who are you? And, and I remember, you know, this, there's this one uh, young child. He, he was dressed up in kind of like a, like a, a revolutionary costume. And, and at first I, I, I said, now, now, are you a pirate? And he said, no. And I like, are you a revolutionary soldier? No. And then grandma finally chimed in and said, he's George Washington. And so I, I need a little bit of help on, on some of that. Uh, clearly, the costume was not the boy's idea, but grandma's. Uh, I walked up to another guy. I thought this was really funny. I, I went up to him and said, who are, who are you? And he said, I have no idea. He said, my wife made me wear this. And that was kind of the, <laughs> that was kind of the end of our conversation. Um, but you know, Halloween's kind of funny in that way. We wear these costumes, and, and we ask this question, well, who are you going to be? And, and yet, it, it points to a deeper question, doesn't it? Uh, who, who am I, really? Who am I? Uh, behind all the masks behind all the costumes, behind all the makeup, who am I? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Maybe you're in middle school right now and you're looking at some of the choices that your friends are making and you're thinking, is, is that me? Is that who I want to be? Or maybe you're in high school or about to graduate this year and you're thinking, you know, what, what am I to do with my life? Who am I going to be? Or maybe you're in your 50s or 60s and you're looking at your friends and you're thinking, is that who I want to be? Is that what I want to be when I grow up? Right? These, these are questions we all wrestle with. It's a really interesting question that all of us have to face at some point or perhaps many points. Interestingly enough, there's a group of researchers at Harvard University who studied this and found that most people answer this question with their jobs or their careers, right? You ask them, you know, who are you? And they say, well, I'm a sales rep or I'm a teacher or, uh, you know, I'm a mom or I'm a homeschooler. And and we kind of answer with a role that we play. Others might answer with a life stage or, or I'm a student, I'm a parent, or I'm an empty nester. But what these researchers found was that most of these answers, while true on some level, most of these labels changed over time. It didn't really point to who they really were in the inside. They were just different hats they wore. And what researchers found was that there was a better question, a deeper question that helped answer this question of identity. And the better question was this, not who am I, but rather, to whom do I belong? To whom do I matter? And that's what I want to explore with you today. Today, as we begin this new chapter, uh, we, we are starting a brand new series called We the People of God. And it's all about these big questions in life. Who am I? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like to follow Jesus in this crazy world? And how are we to d- deal with difficulties or strife in life? Does faith actually make a difference? And these are the questions I want us to uh, walk through together over these next four weeks. We're going to study a letter from 2,000 years ago written by one of Jesus' closest friends, a man named Peter. Now, you've probably heard of Peter before if you're uh, familiar with the scriptures or familiar with the Christian story. But Peter actually wrote two letters that we have in the New Testament, in the Bible. And the first letter that he writes is specifically about this question. What does it mean to be a Christian 
in the world today. And here at Lake Forest Church, we, say, we always say we're a place for skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Jesus, which means wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, we think this is a great place for you. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that this series will help you consider what it would look like, what it might be like to actually take a step of faith in following Jesus. We're going to jump into that together. Well, Peter writes this letter to this group of Christians, and this group of Christians were really struggling. Uh, These were not the cool kids living in Jerusalem, by the way. Uh, These Christians were not even Jewish Christians. They were Gentiles. They were scattered all over Asia Minor, or what we know today as modern-day Turkey. There wasn't anything noteworthy or significant about them. They were simple people, many of them slaves or servants or laborers, who had simply come to believe in Jesus. They'd come to put their faith and trust in Jesus, but they were struggling with this question. What does it actually mean to be the people of God. See, in the ancient world during Peter's time, being a Christian was incredibly difficult. We, we can really struggle to appreciate this. Sometimes it meant being cut off from or disowned by your family. Sometimes it meant losing your job or being shunned by friends and neighbors. For some, it even meant physical harassment, beatings, and imprisonment. It was costly to follow Jesus. It was difficult to follow Jesus. Sometimes it was downright even discouraging. One writer I read who was talking about this idea says, being a Christian in the first century was like being a vegetarian at Outback Steakhouse. You weren't really sure why you were there, right? What's to these folks, these Christians scattered, struggling, that Peter addresses his letter And listen to how he opens. Listen to how he speaks to them. These words are utterly amazing. This is the opening of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He writes this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one, to God's chosen people, living as aliens, scattered among the unbelievers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, I am sending this letter to those who have been selected and destined by God the Father and made holy by God the Spirit, that you may be obedient to Jesus the anointed and purified by the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace beyond all reckoning be yours. Now that's quite an intro, isn't it? That's just the first sentence of Peter's letter. And can you imagine the surprise? Just think about this for a minute. These Christians, there was no corner church. There were no steeples. There were no megachurches. There weren't even churches gathering in gyms at YMCA's. There were simply small pockets of believers huddled together in homes, afraid to do so in public for the harassment and arresting that might be theirs. And so in a letter like this, there was no Bible. There were just these letters from the apostles, like Paul and Peter and James. And these letters would come through town, and they would be passed from house to house to house. And if there was not someone in that house who was literate, someone else from the church would come and read that letter to the church. And can you imagine the power of these words? You are a chosen people. You see, these Christians have been struggling for a long time. Life was tough. They were made fun of for their belief. They were teased. They were mocked. They were mistreated. And the question that they had been asked is, has God forgotten us? Has God bailed on us? If we were the cool kids in Jerusalem, would he care about us more? Maybe we don't really matter to God. Maybe we don't really belong to God. 
So you can imagine how powerful Peter's words are. In fact, this, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, is the dominant theme in the entire letter. You were chosen by God. Look at how he reiterates this in the very next chapter. You might be familiar with these words. Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were here, it is not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. What's Peter talking about here? Why all this language about priests and nations? Well, see, it's kind of like this. Peter is picking up on themes from the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible that would have been the scriptures of those early Christian communities. He's saying, look, in the same way that God chose Abraham and Sarah and made a promise to bless them and make them into a people, in the same way that God chose Moses to lead his people to become a nation, in the same way God chose Naomi, Samuel, Esther, David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Joseph, and Mary, God has chosen you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his special possession. And it had to have blown the minds of these early believers. And to know, to know that you belong that you've been picked, that you matter to someone. You see, Peter starts here because he knows this has the power to change everything for this community. I remember the first time I experienced the power of being picked. Do you remember that experience? I was a first grader and I had just moved to a new town and was attending this new elementary school. I knew no one. And so for the first many, many days during recess, I would just stand out there on the field watching the upperclassmen, you know, the third graders, and they, they would pick two captains, and then those captains would pick everyone for their teams for the softball game, excuse me, the kickball game. Now, of course, I stood there hoping to get picked, but day after day after day, I was not chosen, and so I stood on the side and watched. Well, you can imagine my surprise when the day finally came. I was standing there expecting the same outcome when all of a sudden I heard my name. Someone said, I, I pick Aaron. And I looked around like there had to be another Aaron somewhere, right? Like, Aaron? You mean Aaron Gibson? You mean you're picking me? And my life changed in that moment. Okay, it was only kickball. But right, the power of being chosen, the power of being picked, the power of mattering to someone. See, Peter writes to these young Christians, and he says, look, guys, if you remember anything, if you get anything out of this letter, this is the most important thing I want you to understand. God has picked you. And I know this doesn't make sense. I know you're not the top of the class. I know you're not the football team captain, but that's not why God picks people. God doesn't pick us because we're so pickable. God picks us because we matter to him, and you matter to him. And until you understand that, until you take that into the core of your being, my friends, you will struggle. You will struggle in this life. See, Peter writes to these Christians because he knows that our identity in Christ, knowing that we are chosen, loved, and accepted by grace because of what Jesus has done, must form the foundation of the Christian life. 
Max Lucado, a pastor and author, tells a story of an orphan train that began back in the mid-1800s. Maybe you know about this. Uh, between 1854 and 1929, over 200,000 orphans and abandoned children in eastern cities were placed on westbound trains and shipped across the United States in search of homes. Uh, many of the children lost their parents in epidemics. Others were children of down-on-their-luck immigrants. Some were orphaned by the Civil War, others by alcohol or other substance abuse. But each of these children needed homes. So they loaded them on trains of 30 or 40 kids in a car, and they stopped in rural areas for viewings. This is what they called them, viewings. They, they literally lined the children up on the train platform, and the would-be parents could come out and inspect the kids. Can you imagine? Sometimes even looking at the teeth or, 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 or measuring their shoe size. You see, they all needed a home, and they all would do almost anything to be picked. If they got examined and got chosen, they would go to homes. If not, they would get back on the train and simply roll into the next town. Well, Max tells the story of an eight-year-old boy named Lee Nailing, N-A-I-L-L-I-N-G, Lee Nailing. Lee and his brothers had been given up for the adoption by their father after their mother's death. He simply could not afford to raise them, and he had nowhere else to turn for help. Lee's father actually wrote his name and address on a little letter and put it in a pink envelope inside of Lee's jacket and said, when you get to wherever you're going, would you please write me? Well, after one night on the train, when Lee woke up that next morning, the envelope was gone. Presumably somebody thought there might have been some money in it and had stolen it. And Lee had no way of getting in touch with his father. Eventually his two brothers who were with him were adopted one by one and Lee was left alone and found himself on a train platform in Texas. No, not picking on Texas, Dean, sorry, just it's the story, it's the story. Uh, Lee was taken in by this one farmer family, uh, spent the night there, and was returned to the train the next morning. The farmers uh, had decided they really didn't want him. Can you imagine? And so Lee went on to the next town, and, and the pain, just the, the loneliness, the bitterness began to sink in. So at the next time when he was taken in by an elderly couple with no kids, Lee began to plot. He said, you know what, I, I've got to escape. I've got to get out of this. I've got to run away and do this on my own. And that was his intention. But he was so exhausted when they finally put him in bed, he fell asleep almost instantly. Uh, the next morning, they're sitting at the breakfast table, and, and he's planning again. As soon as he gets some food in his belly, he is out of there. He's never looking back. But something happened at that table the, the elderly woman turned to her husband and said, would, would you say the blessing? And, and they bowed their heads and he prayed, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as Lee tells it in that moment, he, he looked up and the father smiled and winked at him. And the mother reached over and took his hand. And as Lee tells it, he says, I did not know who this father in heaven was. But I felt like maybe, just maybe, this is what it's like to finally find a home. Such is the power of being picked. See, Peter starts with this one theme for a reason. Why? Why does he start with this? Because Peter remembers the power of being chosen. He remembers it. He remembers it because he can remember the time when Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, I choose you. Peter, I want you. Peter, would you come and follow me? 
And Peter left everything. And his life was changed forever. And what if, what if the same could be true for you? I mean, really. What if you could have Jesus look you in the eyes today and say, my friend, my son, my daughter, I'm choosing you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how different your life would be if you could live with a deep-seated confidence that you are chosen, that you are beloved, not because you are so pickable, not because you can stand taller or look prettier than the others on the train platform, but simply because he made you and he loves you and he values you. How would your life be different? You see, to accept God's grace in our lives is simply this. It's to accept God's offer of being adopted into his family. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be adopted into the family of God. In fact, this experience is so powerful. This must have been what Peter had in mind when in the very next verses of his letter, he says this. It's almost like being born all over again, being born into a brand new family. Look at how he continues. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, here it is, born again into a living hope. And what if? What if that hope could be yours today? Little confession from your pastor. I gotta be honest. There's some days when this is a real struggle for me. Do you struggle with this? I do. It's so easy, I don't know about you, it's so easy. I'm the first child in my family. You know how first children are. Like we always gotta exceed everybody. You know, first children kinda own it. Any other first children out there? You know what I'm talking about, right? You gotta hit it out of the park every time at the plate. And if this, sometimes I slide back into, oh man, I, I'm not enough or I'm not measuring up or if I could just, and yet to hear this truth again, that my security and identity in God's love and in his family is not conditioned, is not conditioned on my own performance, on my possessions, on my titles, my positions, but it's simply conditioned on having allowed myself to be chosen by him. And have you done that? Really? Have you allowed yourself to be chosen by God? Well, there's much more we're going to talk about in our journey in 1 Peter. But today, I want to give you just a moment to consider that question. And if you have not, or you're not sure, if you said, I, I don't know, God, have, have I really allowed this truth to sink into my soul? I want to give you a moment just to talk to God, and I'm going to pray with and for you. So can we bow our heads together? I want you to just imagine, maybe it's on that train station, maybe it's on that elementary school kickball field, but imagine yourself somewhere right now. And imagine... Jesus coming to you and saying, my son, my daughter, I choose you. Would you come and follow me? How might you respond to him?
What would you want to say to Jesus in response to his invitation of grace? Heavenly Father, we are simply overcome by your kindness and love for us. There's no greater force in this universe than your grace and mercy and the love that you have shown us. Lord, today, I just ask for your help for me, for my friends here, the friends I haven't met yet. If there are are things that are standing between us and you, uh, things that are standing in the way of just allowing ourselves to be chosen and embraced by you, would you remove those things? And would you allow this truth to sink deep into our hearts and souls? May we live with the confidence that in Jesus, we are chosen and dearly loved by you, Father. Pray that you would make that true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.